1: Hello and welcome back to The Paddock and the Pavilion, the podcast whose aim is to bring you inspiring stories about cricket and horse racing. Well, today I can promise you an inspiring guest. He is not a jockey or a cricketer, but extreme adventurer Jordan Wiley, MBE, who also has a passion for horse racing. Jordan, well known for being part of Channel 4's BAFTA-nominated TV series, Hunted and and Celebrity Hunted has raised over £1 million for charitable causes through some quite incredible challenges. As Jordan says on his website homepage, be the difference that makes a difference. In this podcast, you are going to hear about a couple of Jordan's extreme adventures, alongside his connection with Cheltenham Festival winning trainer Jamie Snowden, which is soon to lead to a racing adventure. I am sure you will enjoy 30 Minutes with Jordan. Hello, Jordan. Welcome to the show.
0: Hello, Stephen. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, I've spoken to a best-selling author and a successful actor, uh, but they weren't um, former soldiers and extreme adventurers. So you're a first. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's a, it's a privilege to be
0: on the podcast. So thank you for, uh, for inviting me on. Uh, very grateful.
1: And you like horse racing, which both the best-selling author and the actor did as well. But firstly, I want to congratulate you on your MBE.
0: Uh, that's very kind. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. That's that's very kind. But I guess uh, like a lot of these things, um, you know, I, I was at the front of a work by a big team of people. So I certainly I can't take all the credit. It, it recognizes the work of, of some very inspiring uh, people. And I'm, yeah, as I say, I'm very privileged to, uh, to, to, to be able to, to, to receive that award.
1: Well, you've raised over is it a million pounds for charitable causes for especially children in education. When did you find out that you were getting the award? I, I
0: only found out um, about, uh, you know, a few days before I received it and um, the new, on the New Year's sort of honours list at the start of the year. I was literally, uh, you know, I think it was about a week or so before um, where, where I got a um a phone call and to be honest I, I thought it was a prank i thought it was a wind up <laughs> um i had to i had to email the um the, the the government um her majesty or his majesty's government as it is now and um and and make sure it was all legitimate and above board
1: <laughs> have you got a date yet to uh, go and collect it
0: no i'm told it'll be uh, this year at some stage most likely the autumn because i'm on the my, my my award was I'm on the Foreign and Commonwealth Office list list because it was for my primarily for my work on the Horn of Africa with with children and, and education. So I I'm at the back and with a surname like Wiley, I'm always at the back of the list um, <laughs> waiting for my turn. Are
1: oh, you a bit like me with with a W because I'm I've only I have run a couple of marathons but not the, not the ones that you've run. And as a W at the end of the marathon, there's all these letters and yours is the furthest one away unless you're someone in the Z's, you know. So I know what it's like. <laughs> yeah absolutely well we're going to talk about your love of racing but um we couldn't not talk to an adventurer about some of his adventures and just for just for listeners i was going to talk ask you about two of them but i just wanted to mention some of the things that you've done you've uh, climbed Kil- mount kilimanjaro nineteen thousand feet barefoot um you set a paddleboard record world record you ran an underground marathon i understand uh You've run a marathon in all seven continents. I just wanted to focus on a, a couple of those, really. Climbing Mount Kilimanjaro barefoot, why on earth did you do that? Or why do you do any of these <laughs> why things, on earth? really?
0: It's a good question. Um, you know, m- Most of these things, if not all of them, have a um, a charitable uh, sort of interest to them. You know, it's, it's trying to... raise funds for good causes and and often as I've learned over the years you have to do things that are a bit wacky and wonderful and 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 weird in some ways if you're if you're going to take fundraising to the next level from the the sort of hundreds and thousands to the hundreds of thousands um so it's yeah the 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 project to climb Kilimanjaro barefoot was a a project with some friends of mine from the military um and we were doing it for a cancer charity because one of their, their family members had been affected by cancer and yeah, they they invited me along to climb Kilimanjaro, which which is you know it's uh, it, it's just quite a sizeable mountain. It's, it's the one of the well, it's the tall It's the highest mountain on the African continent and the highest freestanding mountain in the world. But it's certainly no no Everest or Himalayan mountain. Uh, so I, I I always think I always think Kilimanjaro is is achievable for anyone if you put the work in and do the training and and be fit you know and sort of get your fitness levels up to scratch. But it was. Yeah, I, my friends invited me along and I said, why don't we do it a bit differently? Why don't we do it like some of the locals do it and not wear any shoes? And as you can imagine, they, they thought that was the most outrageous, ridiculous idea ever. Um, and said, no, not at all. Don't be silly. And I, I, I said, well, I'm going to do it like that if you, and you're welcome to join me. And, and they did join me, but didn't take their shoes off. And, um, and it was quite interesting because for me, we raised or, or my fundraising page did over 70,000 pounds and theirs did less than a thousand pounds. And what was interesting is we did exactly the same thing except for I didn't have my shoes on, and it just sort of opened my eyes to that you you don't have to be the best uh, you know the the strongest the fittest uh, or anything like that you just have to be quite creative and different you know uh, uh, at most things in life to to stand out in a in I guess what is a crowded world or marketplace and and that was my first real well, that was over ten years ago and that was my first real. Uh, sort of look at, at serious level fundraising and how you you can do things differently to have a, a bigger impact. And yeah, and, and from there things just moved on to to running in dangerous places and rowing across dangerous stretches of water and yeah, weirder and wackier things from that, I guess.
1: <laughs> the mountain. How long did it take? And you must you must have had sore feet at the end.
0: Yeah, but you know, you know, it, it took us slightly longer. It took us the best part of a week. Uh, you know, it can be done a lot quicker than that, but. The, the human body is an amazing sort of tool because it adapts to its environment so quickly. You know, a first first day or so, yeah, it was it was quite sensitive um, on the feet, on the soles and what have you. But uh, within two or three days, you were sort of, you know, you built a thick layer of skin, you would acclimatized, and you were, you were on your way. But you know, we we went up the easier route on the mountain and we took our time. So, uh, you know, the reality of it was was probably less less uh, glamorous than what it sounds. <laughs>
1: You mentioned running as well. You did this Running Dangerously project uh, where you, I think you ran a marathon in Afghanistan and you also did like sort of half marathons in Iraq and Somalia. Why those countries first?
0: Yeah, I chose those countries at the time because I was raising um, funds and awareness for um, some charities that, that help children in conflict and war zones. And when I so i did my research they were th- they were listed as the three most dangerous countries in the world at the time um and i'd also happened to have served or worked in those countries as well in my my sort of uh, career um so they were countries that i knew well they were countries that were, were dangerous but i also know that there was another side to those countries that you know there, were, there was a, an untold sort of beauty of you know amazing people incredible amounts of of compassion and humanity and i wanted to to not only raise funds, but I wanted to show the real side to those countries because they're they're, they're they're quite special countries. They're not just doom and gloom, what the media or the news might have us believe. They're 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 full of amazing people as well, local people.
1: I suppose we forget that people have still got to live a, a life in these countries at the same time, haven't
0: they? Absolutely. You know, I, from my lifetime of twenty years plus of of working in hostile environments and conflict zones as a soldier and adventurer, I. I, I, most of the people you meet around the world are good people. You know, whether you're in Iraq, Afghanistan, Somalia, 99.9% of the uh, of the population are, are really decent humans who just want peace, love, and you know, and get on with life. And it, it, I think it's no different than the UK. It's just that we put a, a magnifying glass on some of these countries for whatever reasons. But we we, we see death and destruction in the UK. We we, we see terrible things happening in Europe. Um, you know, it's just that it, it seems when it's in a faraway land in hot, sandy, deserty places, it attracts a lot more media attention because of the politics and and everything else involved. But I, I promise you, we get bad people in England that are no different than the people in in some of these far fetched countries. You know, it's it's it, it, that that's that's the world, unfortunately.
1: Did you experience some dangerous experiences though during the three runs?
0: um yeah, there were dangerous experiences. Um, I, I never. I didn't feel that my life was a threat, so to speak. But, of course, when you're in a, a conflict zone or a post-conflict zone, you know, there's always danger and risk at every corner you turn. You know, certainly in Somalia, we, you know, we were there when there was a suicide bomb, um, which was tragic and, and many people lost their lives. But on a personal level, no, I, I had a great experience. And, you, you know, I, I would argue that in all three of those countries, I've seen more acts of, of love, compassion, kindness than I've ever seen in the UK. Uh, So, you know, food for thought for people, maybe really, uh, I think to know the truth about anything, you have to go and see it firsthand and experience it and and embed yourself in someone else's culture to to really appreciate and understand other people, as opposed to just switching on a, you know, a TV set and and, and seeing what you're told.
1: And why have you chosen to raise money for children's charities in in sort of education? Why that uh, particular subject?
0: Well, to be honest, you know, I'm a, I'm a kid from Blackpool who, who left school with no education, um, not from anyone else's fault, but my own. You know, I, what I've come to learn as education actually is one of the few things in the world that inspires hope for a brighter future. And when you meet children from across the planet whose lives have been torn apart by war, you, you, you when you when you've seen and seen this and experienced it firsthand you, you feel compelled to want to do something and help and education for me has always been the common theme that I've seen that that really gives children the chance to flourish even when the odds are stacked against them even when they've lost their families their homes there's something about education that I've learned that that has the ability to inspire hope for a better future one day and having Having sort of left school with no education, you know, I've gone back to education as an adult and and tried to champion it. And I've done my qualifications, you know, my GCSEs, A-levels, bachelor's degree, master's degree. But I I, I never really understood the importance of that as a teenager. And and I learned the hard way. But as I say, yeah, for me, education is is such a magical tool. One of the few things that can inspire hope in the world.
1: The some of the money you've raised has helped build schools, hasn't it, in Africa?
0: Yeah, we built a school over... Over the course of five years, from from sort of making a promise to a, a small village uh, on the Horn of Africa to to then cutting the ribbon, you know, two years ago, and yeah, it was for me one of the greatest fulfilling achievements I've ever had to to make a promise to a little boy who, on the face of it, lost everything, who just wanted to go to school to be able to to keep that promise and deliver that, and and use adventure as a platform to deliver it to raise funds was. Was, was 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 amazing, and you know, I was very privileged as well because I got to travel around the world, all seven continents, to do different adventures in the name of, of fundraising. So, in some ways, it, I guess there is a selfish aspect to it because as much as I'm raising funds, I'm also given these privileged opportunities to be able to raise funds as well. So, I, I certainly don't take that for granted, and, and I'm very grateful for those opportunities that that sponsors and media outlets give me.
1: Well, I think you deserve that for the for the work you're doing, and I read that your own charity there's no paid employees so all the money you raise goes to the charities
0: yeah yeah actually yeah the, the charity has its own the charity that I, I i sort of co-founded about five years ago um i i'm i stepped back from it about two years ago i'm still a trustee on the board of of trustees but it has its own ceo chairman uh secretary and and it runs and they're all the ceo down to the volunteers that that the people running it—they're all volunteers. The CEO doesn't take a salary; he doesn't take expenses, and I think mean, that's really nice. And you know, I've always thought that that's what charity should really be about. Uh, for me, again, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but or, or anything untoward anywhere else. But I just think when when you have that sort of transparency, you know that you know 99p in every pound, if not more, is going where it should go, and that's what what it should be about, in my own opinion, anyway.
1: Let's talk about your um, love of horse racing. How did that start? I know you come from Blackpool, so was it the Grand National or, or what was it?
0: Yeah, good question. Actually, do you know when 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 you said that, then the first thing that came into my head was was a job that I had, uh, but I've not thought about this for a long time. But when I was when I was fourteen, fifteen, I used to work on the the fun fair at Blackpool called the Pleasure Beach, which was sort of the the, the big and all the rides. But actually, one of my jobs on the Pleasure Beach as a teenager. I was doing the commentary on the Kentucky Derby which was a sort of game where you would roll the ball and you would have to commentate on the on the horses and, and you know whichever horse got to the end would win a teddy um so yeah actually that that was probably my first interaction uh, which I hadn't thought of before uh, with with horse racing but I can remember doing the commentary on it um you know, doing my sort of Richard Hoyles as it would have been back in the day. Um but um for horse racing, my, my my grandfather actually, I remember go we'd go to his house on the weekend and he'd have his like he'd have his he was a bookmaker actually. He worked in William Hill for many years and he'd come home and you know, pro- probably not a good thing looking back <laughs> encouraging me to gamble, but he'd have his box of like ten P's and twenty P's and I'd I'd bet on the different the different horse races uh, going on. And, and of course, the Grand National, I think, in most people's households over the years was always a, a family favourite. Everyone gathering around the TV, uh, picking their favourite colours or their favourite name or whatever it might be. But yeah, that was that was probably my first uh, engagements with horse racing. But then as a as a soldier being in a cavalry regiment um, where horses were always around us, although. In the modern army, cavalry was tanks as such, but we always had horses, you know, in the barracks, in the stables, doing ceremonial duties. And then, um, you know, one of my troop leaders was a, a, a trainer called Jamie Snowden, um, who's, you know, a Cheltenham Festival winning trainer, I guess a legend in his own right now. But he was, we shared a tank together for many years. Um, you know, we worked on operations and yeah, he, I, I recall him, you know, telling his his, his ambitions and his aspirations to, to go and train some of the best thoroughbred horses around, which he's amazingly gone on to achieve.
1: Yeah, Jamie Snowden. He was your captain when you were in the army.
0: Yeah, I was his. I was his corporal. He was my uh, my captain, if you like, or left lieutenant when I first met him, or second lieutenant. He was a young officer, fresh-faced out of Sandhurst when I first came across Jamie. Um, yeah, there's, and I, I remember so many occasions where we would sit in a tank or we'd be on exercise. You know, and it'd be it'd be miserable. It'd be dull. We'd be, you know, chucking it down in the winter, and we'd be sat in a field. And I can remember many times looking across to him and saying, you know, sir, sir, boss, what are you what are you going to be doing? Because you don't want to be sat in this trench for the rest of your life. And he, he'd say, well, you know what, Corporal Wiley, I'm going to go and train. I'm going to go and train racehorses one day, and I'm I'm going to be you know I'm going to I'm going to have a Cheltenham winner. I'm going to try and win the Grand National. And he'd tell me all these big dreams he'd had, and I, and I can remember being you know a sixteen seventeen year old thinking the guy was on another planet. he was this young officer sat in a trench telling me he's going to go and train you know the best racehorses in the in, in the world, and I I thought he was bonkers, but of course you know I I, I smiled and, and nodded politely, and I remember making the comment to him that if I could ever afford a racehorse one day, well then guess what, sir, you'll be the first person I come and speak to and see if I ever have that um, that privilege, I guess. And and then it must have been, I don't know, maybe 15 years later, uh, you know, maybe longer, I, I I knocked on his door and I said, uh, Captain Snowden, sir, it's Corporal Wiley here, retired, and I've come to buy that racehorse. And that was probably 10 years ago. And we've, we've been at the races every year with different horses that I've, you know, I ever bought myself or been in partnership with others. Um, so, yeah, that was that's been an amazing journey and, and horse racing through Jamie Snowden racing and, and the various, I guess, stakeholders and other owners and uh, different people in that environment. It's, it's, it's actually given me a lot of opportunities to be honest. It's, you know, i being very honest, often buying a horse is, is on the face of it, a terrible direct investment. If I'm, if I'm completely honest, but the, the indirect investment in terms of relationships, in terms of networks, in terms of, amazing days out in terms of experience that I've had. I, I would put it up there with anything in the world um, as, as, as one of the best environment sports to be involved in. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's it given me so many great things. You know, I've been to, to Buckingham palace. I've been to Windsor castle. I've had the privilege of having private drinks, dinners with her majesty, his majesty. And it's all been not through the military, but through horse racing in, in different guises and capacities. So I, I, I'm very grateful for, for, for the sport and the opportunities. And, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't really even consider myself a, a horseman as such. You know, I don't ride horses. I've never rode horses. Um, I, I've, I've, you know, I, I think for many years I'd have probably been scared and nervous around them growing up actually in the army. Um, you know, thinking they were very unpredictable, but as I've come to be in touch with them more, you know, they're they're amazing creatures and, Another thing that I must say as well is I've just been blown away because like a lot, like a lot of people out there in the general public, when, when all you see maybe is the Grand National once a year, you know, you, you can often be misguided or have misinterpreted opinions about horse racing and, and horses. But when you have spent extensive time down in places like Lambourne and Newmarket and, you know, you've lived and breathed what their world is, these are treated as good as humans, if not better, these horses, they're like they're elite level athletes and I often laugh because I get out of bed sometimes with a bad back and I can't even get my socks on and the horse has already had a massage and a swim that morning. Um and, and I'm thinking, you know, he's been to the vets, had his health check, he's been for a swim round the swimmer and he's done all these things that I wish I had in my life sometimes. <laughs> so so I always I always find it funny, you know, not funny is the wrong word, but I always I always think there's a big education piece that's still missing out of out of horse racing that that, that, that could help the sport a lot if I'm honest
1: yeah i certainly agree there and you you've you've set up a a racing club which jamie i understand as well
0: yeah so so me and and some friends of ours we're about to launch a a project called racing club um you know it it does what it says on the tin and we are we're trying to transform i guess the, the the future of race horse ownership in terms of you know engaging maybe a younger community trying to educate people on some of the things that we've just discussed and also showing some insights into what goes on behind the scenes, not only with the horses, but with the incredible uh, selfless stable staff and, and, and the other things that go on in yards and, and around the country. And alongside that, trying to in, increase the social side of it, you know, let's so, so yeah, we, essentially we're, we're a race, we're a racing syndicate with a, a whole host of horses uh, for both the the, 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 the national hunt and the flat. And we are syndicating those horses out. we, some of the horses we we're attaching celebrities to, so you can go racing with one of your your favourite celebrities that you might have seen on television, or you know might be a sports star, it might be I don't know a reality star. So we're trying to use our network of of, of people to influence the sport in a very positive way, um, and allowing people to to have some very unique experiences. You know, we as part of the the organisation, the racing club, we have a uh, boxes at Wembley at the O2 football clubs around the country so we want to incorporate all of that and, and take it beyond just racing and and really try to build a a real sport in social environment of, of like-minded people um but built on the principles of, of racehorse ownership uh, from the syndicate perspective
1: and are the horses going to be trained by jamie
0: yeah certainly the national hunt horses um will be trained by jamie um so we, there's a few other people in in the project which um, will be launched in about another four to six weeks. Uh, we're still just working on a few of the legal aspects, uh, but yeah, all our national hunt horses over the over the fences and the hurdles will go to to the folly house in Lambourn with Jamie. Um, and and you, you know, and, and as I say, we will we'll maybe not this season, but certainly next season we we've got we've got quite a few horses that will go into training for the flat for the flat season as well.
1: And will there be a website, or will that be on Jamie's website where we can find more more about the? The racing club when it when it starts
0: yeah right yeah the website will be live in 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 the next four weeks um as soon as all the legals have been uh, you know the sort of the, the the i's dotted and the t's crossed and all that sort of thing so um we, we, we want to get it right we don't want to sort of run before we can walk and we realize that people have been running syndicates for for many years and we want to try and improve that ownership experience through through syndicates we want you know, being being very blunt, we want to make that experience a lot better value and, and 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 a lot more an enhanced experience, so to speak. We want it to be more than just than, than putting some money in the pot and, and 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 you know hoping that you get a ticket to the races or whatever it might be. We, we we want to make it a lot more engaging and interactive. We've we've got a full a full media team of of four people who are constantly creating content on a daily basis. They're working out of the yards that we have got horses in, uh, so. Every horse, you know, will have its own character profile, and you will get you know, daily updates, videos, Q and A's. Um, so, so we're going to try and take everything that's already out there and improve that experience. And 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 we we want the world to hold us accountable for that. You know, we we're not about talking a good game; we want to deliver a good game. And 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 you know, hopefully the, 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 there'll be plenty to come, and, and we'll certainly let you know when we're about to launch. And you know, feel free. We've we're also in the process of buying our own yard as well um, down in Lambourne. I can't say. Too much more than that at the moment, but that's quite an exciting development as well.
1: Sounds it. Have you got a name for the, the club yet? Or?
0: It, it, so it's going to be Racing Club. That's It's going to be exactly what it does on the TIM. Racingclub.com will be our site. Um, we, we, we looked at lots of, we brainstormed it many times and we kept coming back to sort of keeping it simple and doing what, what it says on the tin. Um And also, of course, from a, a technology perspective in this day and age with, you know, sort of Google search engines ranking and things, it, it works quite well for us as well.
1: And you said earlier, again, focusing a bit or focusing a lot on young people and education again.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It's, um, you know, we've also got taking that a step further. Again, we've not announced it yet, but for the last three months, we've took on a pupil assistant um, as part of the project, a gentleman called Charlie Pike, who's a young upcoming Uh, trainer he was a a, a very good amateur jockey who unfortunately has had some of his own challenges um, with his weight and and his mental well-being and we've invested in him and we're going to sponsor him uh, and take him through his whole training journey from being a pupil assistant to an assistant trainer to hopefully a few years from now you know running his own uh, flat yard so we're, we're Again, he, he's someone that will, will his journey. We will engage the public with uh, and share share that along the, along the way, and, and show people you know that the, the pros and cons uh, of, of trying to make a career in racing and the challenges that, that people face.
1: Sounds very exciting. I uh, look forward to hearing more about that when when that starts. Uh, what about the future for for Jordan Wiley? Any more daring adventures in twenty twenty three or twenty twenty four?
0: Yeah, there'll be some more daring adventures uh, later this year. Um, I'm hoping uh, in October to swim Alcatraz from the prison on Alcatraz Island. I'm going to swim across San Francisco Bay. Uh, that's that's going to be my 40th birthday present to myself—a uh, bit of swimming dangerously. And then I'll be in Africa visiting the school again later in the year and leading a team of uh, 12 volunteers um, from UK sort of education and schools who are going to come out and swim with whale sharks and trek across the. The African desert and and do some other bits and pieces with us, um, and then 2024 will be a major expedition, but but i have not i have not announced that yet because uh, we've still got a few uh, a few bits to to tick off with sponsors before we can launch that officially later in the year. But that's that's quite an exciting one. But the theme is all about sustainability as well on that one. It's, it's trying to promote uh, you know being a bit more eco friendly and, and and educating young people, um, but using again adventure as the, the sort of platform to do that.
1: So going back to Alcatraz you're going to be like um, Clint Eastwood in the in the film then aren't you uh...
0: Yeah exactly yeah I'm 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 excited I'm I'm fascinated with uh, you know with anything to do with I don't know if it says a lot about me from Blackpool but and and, and my misspent upbringing but I'm fascinated with prisons and, and and anything to do with being locked somewhere and trying to escape um, I, don't, I don't know what that says about me, but yeah, Alcatraz—I've always watched the films over the years and the mystery that surrounds it. So uh, that'll be that'll be a great adventure, I'm sure.
1: And any more Hunted TV series?
0: Yeah, yeah, there'll be more Hunted to come later this year. We filmed uh, we filmed two more seasons. Uh, one of them will be due out. I haven't got a date yet. I, it's, you know, not that I have any secrets. I just don't know the date yet. But we filmed a, a, one of our best series yet, I think, last year, and that will come out. I imagine sometime in the summer, if not before. Um, but yeah, the, the Channel 4, I haven't announced when it will come out yet, but it is—it's uh, it's, for me, it's the best series yet. So yeah, I look forward to that being on the TV later this year, I'm sure.
1: I've got to ask you, what's the most unusual place where you've located somebody?
0: <laughs> good question. Um, oh, what's the most unusual place? That's, that's a really good question. No one's ever asked me that before, actually. But I think... Oof, the most unusual place I found someone. We found someone um, a few seasons ago. We found them in a, um, a hot tub showroom in the hot tub with the lid on. Uh, That's quite an interesting one, I guess.
1: Well, they couldn't stay there very long, could they? <laughs> no,
0: no, no. But yeah, they was in a hot tub with no water in it, in a hot oh. tub showroom but with the lid on. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was quite a random one.
1: <laughs> well, thank you very much, uh, Jordan, for, for, for being on the show. Um, best of luck for the future and uh, thank you for all the work you've been doing over the years since you served in in the army you've been everywhere and done everything and it looks like you're continuing to do good work for particularly in education and uh, best of luck when you get down to buckingham palace or wherever you collect your mbe
0: yeah that's pretty kind Stephen, and, and same to you keep up the great work that you're doing for uh for, for racing and, and and cricket of course and um, you you know keep keep spreading those positive messages and positive stories and and and, uh, and, and I look forward to following the podcast and, and listening to other guests. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much. Sports Social Podcast Network.